We're going to open up, open up God's Word. And um, for those of you who have not been with us for a while or have never been with us before, we are working through the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be working through that probably up until about November time. And we're just coming towards the end of what is called the Beatitudes today, which is the list of, very famous list of blessings that Jesus declares. Blessed are those who, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. We've been working through those. And the thing that we've really been, well, there's been a number of things that Holy Spirit's been highlighting to us. But I think one of the things I want to highlight is this mystery that is the Christian life, that it, it can't be explained. You can't simply explain it in the sense that well, the person made a decision to become a Christian and so all these changes have happened. You can't just explain a Christian on the grounds of human activity or human desire or human resolve to change your mind or, or to turn over a new leaf. You cannot explain the Christian like that. If you can, then start to worry. If you can explain the changes that have happened in your life when you became a Christian, if you can explain them by human activity, by willpower, by resolve, and those things alone, then I would question your conversion. I would, quest- I would question whether or not you are truly a Christian. What we've seen is that to become a Christian means more than anything else that God has acted. God is at work in you. God has taken out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. God has made your heart beat to a new rhythm, which is Jesus. You can't just do that. You can't just make that happen. You can't just change the way you think. We've looked at things like being poor in spirit. It's completely supernatural. People naturally think that if they just do this and maybe don't do too many bad things and, you know, spare a thought for those in need, then surely God will accept them. That's the natural way that people think. To come to the end of all that and say, do you know what? I know I've got nothing before God. I know that before God I've got nothing to commend myself. I know that I just need grace and mercy. That is a sign of the Holy Spirit. That is evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in you. To mourn over your sin, to weep and cry and feel the pain of the things you've done wrong. To look around at the world you live in and weep and cry is a sign that the Spirit of God lives in you. To actually stop and ponder and let your heart break is not what people do. People look on the bright side. That's the natural human response. Things are going bad. Yeah, but look on the bright side. Oh, the weekend's nearly here. You know, well, I saw the weather forecast and the sun's coming out. That is naturally what humans do. Forget about that. Surely something good must be around the corner. Whereas the Christian will look at the thing and let his heart or her heart break. Because God's heart breaks. And a believer is someone who's been dwelt by God. And someone who increasingly has the heart and the affections of God. And so we've seen that the Christian life is a deep mystery. It's not vague and fanciful, but it is mysterious. And there are what we might call negative and positive sides to it. The reality is this. The Bible is littered with martyrs. It's littered with people that have lost their lives due to the fact they love the Lord. It's littered with holy fugitives, people on the run. Why? For no other reason than that they're righteous. It's littered with great trials as well as great triumphs. Sure, we've got beautiful moments and amazing answers to prayer, but it's mixed in with these other things. It's not just triumph all the way. 
And neither is it just trial and hardship all the way. We have these two things that come together and it's really quite hard at times to separate them because God's at work in all of it. And a mature understanding of the Christian life will help us to hold those two things together. Maybe you're here as a new Christian, maybe you're here as someone who's not a Christian, you're thinking, well, how does this thing work? Is it just, you know, my friend says, if I follow Jesus, like, life's going to be amazing, you know, things are going to change, going to be great, I'm going to get forgiven. Sounds like, man, it's just going to be like this amazing thing. Yeah. Jesus promised life to the full. Jesus promised forgiveness of sins, a cleaned cleaned conscience. Jesus promised adoption, reconciliation with God. Yes, 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 yes. But he also promised a few other things that aren't quite as, well, hey. He promised things like persecution. He promised trials and he promised hardship. He did. And those things come together and make the Christian life the dynamic thing that it is. It's not like, oh no, that's a shame. Actually, they make, they make it the dynamic thing that it is. One day, I want to just sit you guys down and just put Gladiator on. And we'll just watch it for three hours. And kind of that'll be it. And then I'll stand up at the end and I'll say something like, Victory hurts. And we'll all go home. Okay? And that will be the message. Because that really is it. There's a glory. If you've not seen that film, then you might... Sorry, I won't stay on it long. If you have, you know what I mean when I say that there's a glory about the thing. But it's painful. Such is the Christian life. It's not just naive. It's not just simplistic. Oh, it's all nice when you get to know Jesus. So everything just goes really well. People say that sort of stuff. It's just not true. It's just not true. But it is glorious. Today I want us to look, we've come to a point where we're going to look at something that is at face value very negative. At face value it's one of those, oh no, why don't we skip it and go on to the next verse. It's one of those ones. It's the final um, beatitude, Matthew 5 verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Please, Lord, do something amazing in our hearts today. Holy Spirit, You can make this news good news to us. I want to ask that you would please do that. I pray God for revelation, illumination, spiritual understanding, deep conviction. I pray for a work of yours deep in our hearts and lives today. I ask you to do that, please Lord. We need you. We need you Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is a different kind of beatitude from the others. The other beatitudes are saying, when you become a Christian, this is going to happen inside of you. You're going to be changed in some way. You're going to go from not caring about your sin to mourning over it. You're going to go from thinking you're the centre of the universe, you're going to become meek. You're going to understand that Jesus is. You're going to go from avoiding problems to becoming a peacemaker, etc., etc. Something's going to happen in you. Your heart's going to change. Your mind's going to get renewed. You're going to become more like Jesus. This one is totally different. 
This beatitude says this, because of the changes that the Holy Spirit is going to make inside of you, people are going to respond to you in a certain way. This is about how others will respond to you if you are a Christian. From certain quarters there will be anger, there will be hatred, there will be opposition. Let me say this, it is inevitable and it is certain. If you really become a Christian and you really live the Christian life, you will be at times, you will be at times opposed. Regardless of what generation you live in, regardless of what nation you live in. It will take on different forms. It might be government-led. It might be your dad. Different forms, different ways. But if you set your face to follow the Lord Jesus Christ at certain points in your life, you will be persecuted. That means chased, hounded. You will be. Sorry for those of you who came for the jolly. You will be opposed. You will be left out. You will be reviled. People will speak evil about you falsely. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The word suffer or suffering in the context of opposition is mentioned 48 times in the New Testament. Now let me just say this. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, for righteousness sake or on my account. He doesn't say, if you're annoying. If you become a Christian and you become really annoying at the same time, you will be persecuted. Okay? He's not saying that. Because if you're an annoying Christian and you're being persecuted, repent. It's not, oh yes, it's the Lord. No, it's not, it's not this isn't it. It's a different thing. If you're just behaving in an objectionable way, if you're just being abrasive or aloof or self-righteous or any of that stuff and people don't like you, I don't blame them. Okay? That's not it. That is not this. It's a different thing. You must make sure that you don't fall into that trap. That you just think, well, no, no one likes me, so it must be because I'm a Christian. It may not be that. It may be, actually, that you're just, you know what? You're just horrible to be around. And you need to really think through the way you're acting, the way you're talking, the way you're coming across, the way you need to get some really good friends and say, please can you speak really honestly to me? Really good friends who will really tell you the truth and say, am I annoying? Am I aloof? Am I abrasive? What, if, what is it about me that you think it would be great for me to just do a little bit of work on? It's really good to have people in your life who love you, who receive you, and who will tell you that. That is priceless. Absolutely priceless. It really is. And I want to guard you from that, because you can fall into that. Jesus says, no, it's for righteousness sake. It's on account of the fact that you love him, and you're not ashamed of him, and you do speak of him, and you own him. And people turn against you because of that. That you'll be chased, hounded or defamed or falsely accused. Now, there's the promise. How are we to respond? Jesus doesn't say, steal yourself. Okay? 
just still yourself and you'll get through it. He says something much more radical than that. He says, rejoice. You think, oh, Jesus, why do you always do this? Why do you say things like this? Because if I could just get through it and grit my teeth, I, I feel maybe I could do that. Maybe I could go and kind of come out and still be a follower. But to actually embrace it, to actually rejoice and be glad, on what grounds, Lord, can you say this? On what grounds can you say such things? He says the most audacious things. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? Two of you have. The rest of you need to read your Bible, because I'll tell you, he says the most audacious things. He says, says there will be times where people will definitely hate you and speak evil against you. Be really happy about that. That is unusual. That really is. Now, what is going on here? On what grounds can he say that? Well, he says, it's always been the way with people who love the Lord. It's always been the way. It's actually a, it's a sign of your authenticity. They treated the prophets in just the same way. You can go all the way through Scripture. You go to, right to the beginning. You've got Cain and Abel. Abel offered an offering to the Lord that was pleasing. Cain didn't. Cain killed Abel. Abel wasn't snooty about it. Abel didn't, wasn't boasting about it. He simply was righteous. He simply brought what was in his heart to the Lord. He brought with faith his offering to the Lord. Cain seems to have found any other thing he could and just brought the thing or he brought it without faith. And when God had regard for the way Abel lived by faith and didn't have regard for Cain, we're told that Cain's face fell. And God says to Cain, why did your face fall? If you trust me, if you exercise faith, everything's going to be fine. And he says, careful Cain, sin is crouching at your door and it wants to master you. And Cain doesn't listen and Cain kills him. All Abel did was live righteously. What about Joseph? He had some dreams and he told his brothers and his dad about the dreams. Now you might say, but he wasn't very wise. He could have kept it to himself. Fair enough. But we don't, he did nothing else wrong. He simply heard from God. God gave him his dreams and he spoke them out. And his dad gave him a nice coat. His dad, his dad favoured him over the other brothers. That wasn't even, he didn't do anything wrong. Next thing we know, he's being betrayed, sold by his brothers. And then you know what goes on. I mean, you're falsely accused of rape, sold into slavery, thrown in prison. I mean, just horrendous until God brings it round to beautiful glory. But it happened to Abel. It happened to Joseph. It happens to David. What did King David do, for goodness sake? Anointed by God, came, he killed the giant. No one else would fight the giant. He killed the giant, and then people got excited about him. Why? It's a man of faith. Here's someone who loves God. So they started singing this song, a harmless little song, really. Saul has killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. Saul hears the song and thinks, I don't like this guy anymore. Because he's making me look bad, like Cain. It's the same thing, you see? Faith, unbelief, faith, unbelief. is a spiritual theme coming through. Unbelief hates faith. Cain hates Abel. The brothers hate Joseph. Saul hates David. Chases him for years. Chases him. David has opportunity to kill him. Doesn't. It's a godly, righteous, blameless man and gets persecuted for years until God brings about the promise and he is exalted on the throne. Isaiah. They say that he was sawn in two. He hid inside, a, hid inside an empty um, tree trunk. You know, the ones that get hollowed out. Hollowed out. He's on the run, he's being chased for his prophetic ministry. It's not in the scripture, but it's what history says, and he hid inside it, they found him inside it, and just sawed, they sawed the tree into. Jeremiah, thrown down a well, 
On we go. Jesus. If ever there was someone blameless, spotless, just beautiful. I mean, what did, what did Jesus do wrong? There he is raising the widow's son from death. There he is raising the synagogue ruler's daughter. So beautiful. Rise. And then he says, get us something to eat. He just even cares about the little things. He's altogether lovely. He's cleansing the leper. He's, 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 John the Baptist, his cousin, has just been killed. He's got, he goes off to mourn and the crowd find him. And in the middle of his mourning, he has compassion on them and he teaches them. They follow him for three days with nothing to eat. He multiplies. Them. I mean, he's just beautiful. What does Jesus do wrong? He's just glorious. He's totally holy, but he's a friend of sinners. There's nothing aloof about him, but he's completely pure. He's just the man of faith. That's the issue. He's the man of love. He's the man of faith. The result? Kill him. Hound him. Chase him. You read the Gospels, there's times he didn't go that way, because he knows if he goes that way, he's going to get, the Pharisees are going to get him. He's ducking and diving. This is the son of God. He's saying, how? Why? Because there's a principle at work here. Unbelief hates faith. All the way through, 11 of the 12 disciples killed, martyred. Just chatting with the kids earlier about the Salvation Army, the start of the Salvation Army, when William Booth, Catherine Booth, his amazing wife, the army on one of their early marches through London, were just walking through on one of their marches, and the skeleton army, anyone heard of the skeleton army? No. Well, they organised themselves against the Salvation Army. They would hound them, chase them, persecute them. And there was one march where they were, I think some guys were just jeering and mocking, and someone spat on William Booth and this huge spit sort of lands on his Salvation Army uniform, and someone next to him goes to wipe it off, and the general says, no, it's a medal. He'd, he'd understood something. He'd understood something. He'd rather be covered in spit for the glory of Christ than be in good shape and not know the Lord. See, there's just this, there's something, there's something here. There's something glorious here. In all, this, in all the kind of, you know, think, oh, oh, there's something glorious here. In Luke's version, when Jesus is giving this speech, he says, if all men speak well of you, tremble. For thus they treated the false prophets. Because the false prophets always tried to work out. The king would say, prophesy. And then they would just think, what does the king want us to say? Oh, and then they would say it. And the king would say, very good. And there would be, if you read through the Old Testament, there's instances where the true prophets, the, the king says, I don't want that one to speak because they say stuff I don't want to hear. Because the true prophet would speak the word of God, you see. And it always got them in trouble a lot of the time. So we got it. there's a theme coming through here. It's very, very important. Jesus says, if you are spoken falsely against, opposed, persecuted, because of me, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because you find yourself in a very amazing tradition. You find yourself lined up with the heroes of the faith. You find actually that it is a sign of authenticity over your life. Now I've moved on to verse 13 today, even though it's not one of the Beatitudes, because I think actually it links in, and this is where I want us to really... Roll our sleeves up and get to the heart of the thing. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What does it mean? I said to the kids, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? They're like, you know, but I'm sure a lot of you know, if not most of you, in those days, obviously, there were no fridges. So to preserve meat, they would rub salt in so that the, so- the meat wouldn't go rotten. 
So when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, they immediately know what he's talking about. Jesus is saying, there's something about you as my disciples, as those of you who have been made new by the Holy Spirit, you are going to keep this place, this environment, this earth from going rotten. You will preserve it by your presence. You will preserve it by the way you think, the way you speak, the things you say and don't say, the things you do and don't do. The earth, because it's under the curse of sin, has this propensity towards rottenness. It goes rotten. That is the Bible's view of society. I'm afraid I'd have to break the news to you. It is in complete antithesis to our world's view, which is our things are improving, that there's this kind of evolutionary thing going on where people are getting better. The Bible says, no, under the curse of sin, all things are getting older and more rotten. Christian, you are called to preserve it. You are the salt of the earth. Your presence will stop the rot. You are salt. Jesus doesn't say, be salt. He says, you are salt. It's what you are. It's what I've made you. If you're a disciple, you are the salt of the earth. We are. It's plural. We are the salt of the earth. Don't do the thing where you suddenly start thinking about you in the workplace straight away. Yes, part of it, but before that, it's plural. Us, we are the salt of the earth. Then he says, what if salt loses its taste? Can it? Can salt lose it? Any scientists in the room? Can salt lose its saltiness? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Thank you for your conviction there, Dave. That's great. Well, salt is one of the most difficult chemicals to lose its saltiness. There are certain things that, you know, it's a chemical, I'm, I'm, off, I'm off the chart here, but whatever the things are, there's a lot of stuff that can lose its qualities. Salt isn't one of them. Salt is one that is very, very resistant. So why does Jesus say this? He says it for this reason. There's only one way that you can really um, desaltify salt. And that's by mixing it with other stuff. You see, in those days, they would obviously get their salt, for example, from the salt sea. So they'd go to the edge of the salt sea and they would gather up the salt. But very often there was stuff there that looked just like salt, but it was in fact road dust. It was just an accumulation of road dust. And the more road dust you mix with the salt, surprise, surprise, the less salty it is. So when Jesus is talking about salt losing its saltiness, he's talking about mixture. He's saying if you begin to take your Christian faith and then mix it, you either mix it with other philosophies of life, other worldviews, other kind of um, ways of approaching things that are not biblical, what will happen is the flavour that you bring, the preserving quality that you bring will be decreased significantly. And it could get to the point where, like in the old days, they would pick up this thing that they thought was salt, the person who was going to preserve the meat, and go, do you know what? There's nothing salty about this anymore. And then they would pick up what they thought was their salt and simply throw it out. Why? It had become useless. You could rub it into the meat, but it wouldn't do the job. And Jesus here is speaking about persecution, he's speaking about opposition, and then I think this is the key here. He says, I want you to understand you're the salt. You are the salt. You're going to keep things from going rotten. And some people really won't like this. In fact, some people will hate this. Some people will respond to this in a very, very negative way. You mix up your faith with other things that kind of make it so you, kind of, you fit in, in a kind of a, in a naughty way, 
You know what I mean? It's fitting in a good way, which is a good thing. Paul says, I'm a Jew to the Jews. I'm a Roman to the Romans. I'm reaching Jews. Then I live like I'm under the law. I don't want to get called a stumbling block. I want them to give me a hearing for the gospel. I'm reaching Romans. I'm going to eat the, I'm going to eat the bacon. I'll do the stuff. No problem. Why? Because these guys, it's, it's, you know, to start acting all kind of Jewish with these guys, it's going to cause a problem. I'm going to be all things to all men. Why? So that I get a hearing for the gospel. So that I can talk about Jesus. So I can bring this revolutionary message. Not so that I can just kind of fit in and feel like I'm part of the gang. That was not Paul's mentality. So want to be part of the gang, guys. That is not a Christian affection. Want to be part of the gang. Jesus says, no, you're the salt of the earth. The gang takes things, places where it's going to get rotten. You're going to be the salt in that. I want you to be in there, but you are to be Salt, for you are salt. Conversion creates a certain kind of person that will have an effect on the environment around them. They must have an effect. They must. If they don't, then they need to ask the question, am I what I profess to be? Am I what I say I am? I have to ask this of myself regularly, if it's any comfort to you. I do. I find myself at times saying the most ridiculous, embarrassing things in order to fit in. And you know what? It absolutely devastates me when I do it. It is. There are certain people, certain groups, classes of people I find naturally utterly intimidating. And when I'm around them to say the thing that I know is going to jar, I, I, I need maximum Holy Spirit help. Because without that, I just don't. I just laugh at the thing I know is rotten. Yeah? Or I just stay quiet in the moment where I know I should now be speaking. I should now be speaking. I walk away and I think, Jesus, have mercy on me. Is it only me? <laughs> and I walk off and I mourn my sin. I said something so ridiculous the other day. It took me, you know, when it comes back to you throughout the day and you think, did I really say that? And it must have been a Monday, because I was walking the kids to school. I walked, I, Monday's my day, I walked the kids to school, so that's when it happened. So the day before, I'd been preaching a belter, you know, live all out for Christ, you know, and met this dad on the way to school, chance conversation, and it was just pathetic. It was so pathetic. I just thought, listen. Is it time, you know, just move on, brother. <laughs> you've, lost, you've lost it. In, in what sense? Was it really evil, what I said? No. Did I cast a spell? No. What, what was it? It was just, it was, what? I, I'm going to tell you. I wasn't, because it's so pathetic. So, I mean, oh, oh, Jesus well, let us serve me right, serve me jolly right. It's discipline, right? So, I'm walking, so I meet this dad on the way to school. How's it going? He says, he says uh, a bit, bit worse for wear, right? Sunglasses on you. bit worse for wear, right? Oh, Jesus. It's, oh, it's so pathetic. Look, I, I'm, you see, I've got to stand for Jesus to give an account for this. I've confessed he's washed me. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, I said to him, you still look cool, though. I said to him, you still, I said that to him. 
what? He didn't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> it, it was just ridiculous. It was utter. Why did I say? I've got no idea. I've got no idea. But it was the I've had a crazy drunken weekend comment. And I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm not going to go, yeah, well, well done. I'm not going to do that because I'm the sort of the earth, right? But I don't know what to say because I'm certainly not going to start telling you off because I don't think that's... I don't think that's really how it works in that sense either. At least, not, you know, but I just, you just think, you walk in and you think, what? And it reminded me of a friend of mine who, we did a men's training track and there was a guy on it who's not from our church, but he was, he was a great provocation to have him there. And he just said this comment, he said, I, he said I've had enough of going along to the playground um, and talking with other dads and they say a joke that's not really funny and I go, oh, and then I say something that's not really funny and they go, and then, um, and then we go home and then, and then that ha happens for a few more times, and then we get buried. And that was it. That was my life. And I never said anything memorable for fear of coming across a bit different. And as he's saying it, I'm thinking, I need to hear this. I really need to hear this. Because I've not offended loads of people. I've offended some people. I've had my email account hacked and pe and, uh, because of my preaching and... Someone sending crazy, <laughs> embarrassingly bad emails from me, but not from me, because of my preaching. I've had people, dads in the playground, laugh at me. You know, I've had a few, you know, few things, you know, a few, bit of false information going around. But, you know, so there's, there's been some stuff, think, well, thank you, Jesus, there's been something which demonstrates that, you know, at least I'm not completely harmless. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Jesus. And I just think when... He's not called us to be a group of harmless people. And I, I just want to throw out a challenge. I really want to throw out a challenge today. Um, and my challenge is this, is that do we hide the fear of man and the fear of rejection and the fear of opposition behind terms like relationship and friendship? Oh, well, I, I, I didn't want to ruin the friendship, so I didn't say that. Oh, well, I've been doing a relationship with that person, you know, and so I didn't want to say that. And what you're really saying is, I didn't want them to reject me. That's what you're really saying. And we can kind of dress it up, can't we? So it sounds like a gospel thing. I didn't say that because I really want to build, so we can... I didn't say the gospel because I want to build so we can get to the gospel. It's like... I don't think that's how it works, guys. I really don't. And if I've ever communicated that through if it's ever come across to you through missionary training and other stuff I want to say sorry I want to say I'm going to say if, if I've emphasized it that way I've emphasized it wrongly we are to be friends oh absolutely and build relationships with all kinds of people you bet but never at the expense of truth never no never at the expense of the gospel and never never where we find ourselves in a pattern of just either not saying stuff that's going to be salty or saying things that are just downright pathetic. We, we, we need the Lord to really bring us out of that, guys. Do you understand what I'm saying? We really do. And I just, I just want to because you may be asking, is it, you know, is it, is it worth it? You know, is it, can I do this? I want to hold up two great examples to show you that it's worth it. The first example are Hazer and Lena that I want to lift up to you. 
I want to lift up Hazel and Nina to you as an example of people that have faced persecution in their Christian walk from day one until today. If you've seen anything in them that makes you think, wow, they're special, and I know you have, I would say a lot of it goes down to this. They are pretty much the only believers I know that have faced different degrees, but pretty much all the way through opposition of some sort. Look what it does. Look, it just produces pure gold. If you think there's a depth about them, yeah, there is. When Lena first got saved, can we just, I'm not being recorded, am I being recorded now? Can you pause this bit? I know she won't mind, but it's probably best not to have it. Jesus has forever dignified suffering by his suffering. Hallelujah. He has forever shown us that to be haste, ha, um, hounded and chased around, you know, wherever, wherever you live, actually, to be able to, to have to run out of the temple for fear of people throwing stones at you in a minute, for ha- having to slip away or having to walk through the middle of a crowd down from the edge of a hill, there's something glorious about it. Why? Because he had to do that because of his purity before God. When you see Jesus on the cross, I know what you see. You see someone hanging there for your sins. You see someone hanging there paying the debt that you owe. You see someone there as a sin and guilt sacrifice before God. And rightly so. You see all of those things. Because that is our hope. That is where the price was paid. That is where our debt was paid. That is why we can come into the presence of God. Because he has paid our debt. Absolutely. But also, you see a man who is dignifying suffering for the glory of God. Once and for all. We're told he despised the shame, even the shame of that nakedness. We see on the, on, the, on the statues, he's got this loincloth around him. There was none of that. He was utterly naked. The shame and the humiliation of the thing. A grown man before his mum, before his friends, before male and female friends, before the religious rulers, hanging there in shame. We're told he despised the shame. Why? For the joy set before him. And I'll tell you one thing about Jesus. He doesn't tell you to do something that he won't do. And he rejoiced and was glad at all that went on. Why? Because he knew, he knew that his reward in heaven was the greatest. And that for eternity, he would be in the presence of the Father with his many, many millions of brothers and sisters that he's purchased with his blood. In glory forever celebrating the marriage feast. He has said it and he has done it. And I want to end by saying, church... Let us live out in all of our failings. James says we all stumble in many ways. Let us, though, not lose heart. Let's not let our hands hang limp. If you're like me and you've said the idiotic thing, come back to God and say, Lord, change me. Lord, keep changing me. Lord, don't let me stay as I am. God, make me bolder. God, keep me from those moments where I say stuff that's rooted in fear of rejection. Break idolatry in me. I, well, I idolize other people, certain kinds of people, certain types, and I don't know what to say to them. And naturally, I feel like I'm totally out of my depth. Lord, make me bigger so I'm able to shine Jesus right into the midst of that. Amen? Isn't that what we want? It's what I want anyway. Is that what you want? Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. You guys are quiet. Is it the heat? You guys are so quiet. I don't know. 
Are you awake today? Oh, man, alive. Every question asked is getting quieter. I'm going to stop. Normally it gets louder. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. We're going to take the bread. We're not going to take the bread. We're going to take the bread. We've got bread. Mary's got the bread. Hey. We're going to take the bread and the wine. I want, as we gather around the cross, I want us to pray with one another, okay, in gratitude of Jesus and his unique cross. But I want us to pray, Lord, help us pick up our cross. Yeah? There is no glory without the death. Okay? Lord, make us a death or glory people, a death and glory people. Lord, break that irrational fear that opts for the kind of the quiet life, opts for the cozy life. Keep us from that, Lord. I pray. Keep us from that, Lord, I pray. I want to lay down a challenge. I was, I, I, I was having a crazy old daydream earlier today, and I just thought it was a crazy old daydream. But the Holy Spirit, is, I think he's reminded me of it, and it's just a silly little thing, really. But I, want, I do want to say this. We all, we all stumble in many ways. Nevertheless, we need, we need to say, I'm going for this. I am going for this, not because... Oh, well, I'm part of that crazy church or anything like that. But because Jesus said, that's the authority. Jesus said, so I'm going to go for this. And if you're not, if you really can't do that, if you can't say, Jesus, you know, I want to go for this, then I was kind of thinking that if you're just not, you're not, it's not that you, you struggle like we all do, but actually it's like, do you know what? You just, you don't want Jesus. You said you're a Christian, but you don't want Jesus. Then my suggestion would have been, as I was daydreaming earlier this morning, I would have said, well, why don't you go, and go to another church? And then I thought, no, that wouldn't be fair on that church. That wouldn't be fair on them, would it? To send, to send someone along who doesn't want Jesus, that wouldn't be fair. So I thought, maybe you could start your own one. And I, I thought of some names for it. One was called CCC. It's called Coffee, Comfort, and Christ. And um, you can just kind of like drink coffee in that and sing us some songs. Or maybe you could, you could uh, one I thought was quite fun would be called DIM. And it stands for Don't Inconvenience Me. You could go and start that one, couldn't you? Sing some songs in that and live comfortably. Or you can say, this isn't easy. And I'm going to really need the Holy Spirit. But I want it. I want it. Because Jesus said. And I'm a follower of Jesus. So there it is. Silly old daydream. Funny little names. But there's something in it, I think. There's something in it. So... Why don't we stand?